Welcome to the We Bear Witness podcast, where we discuss church life, theological questions, and cultural influences. Our podcasts are available via Google, Spotify, Apple, and many other podcast platforms. We hope you subscribe and enjoy the show. Hey everyone, thank you for joining us at the We Bear Witness Podcast. We are so happy that you are listening. We have some important things to talk about today. Youth Camp Week story. Had a big time at a youth camp recently that I wanted to talk to you a bit about when it came to the theme of In My Weakness, He is Strong and how the world has consistently gotten this wrong, as well as an interesting time on Twitter, which Twitter always yields interesting results. This was a little bit more interesting where I had a tweet that actually went viral because of a musical artist that I used to love by the name of Derek Webb, which led into a massive circulated article by my friend Chris Honholtz on evangelical deconstruction and how we as a church need to be about the scriptures more than ever. I'm joined with Dylan today. How are you, my friend? I'm doing well. Excited to be here for our second episode of the Weber Witness Podcast. And, uh, you know, Twitter and you have uh, a mixed history. <laughs> mixed history. <laughs> your wife at times tells you to put it, uh, your phone down or get off Twitter. Um, and then you'll listen for like maybe a week and then you're back on. So, well, my wife can live without the internet entirely. I don't know how it works in your home. We were just, we were just talking about, you know, you're about to go on vacation this week here and, uh, you were fearful of unplugging (laughs) and going off the grid. Yes. For like three days out of the next six days, I'm going to a friend's campground area he actually owns the whole place it's a lot of acres but it's by this river and he was assuring me that it's dead to the world that there is no life cell life there yeah i'm looking forward to it actually because uh you know without your cell phone i won't be getting all these texts in the middle of the night (laughs) like hey what do you think about this i don't i'm teasing man sleep is the problem i'll just send them by messenger pigeon (laughs) You'll get a falcon <laughs> on at the door. door. <laughs> He's knocking. On the window. Not, not. <laughs> like, it's like, what not is yet. this? And you open up the little scroll and his yeah. Have to have my shotgun ready. Hand, you know? <laughs> his claw. Yeah, that's awesome. No, no I, I love you, man. You, yeah, I love sure. your text, too. So. You just have to say that because we're in the microphones right, right now. And you yeah. feel guilty about your chastising. But we can move on. Um, we can deal with that absolution later in confessional booth. Yeah, so tell me about uh, youth camp week there. Yeah, I had a really good time. It was a sister church in our area here in Nassau County. Um, I don't like doing a whole lot of youth camps in terms of we seem as a culture and church to have gone in a way where we put a lot of pressure on that week for these students. And you do you do have an opportunity when students go to camp where they can be away from their phones of the camps where they make you keep your like speaking of our phones where they make you leave your phones like in your cabins or, you know, you don't bring them with you at all. So you're, you're kind of shut off from the world of Instagram and Facebook feeds and like constant mindless drivel, you know. And I think that's important because it opens them up to the gospel of Jesus Christ to be a real focus and fixation that week. And so I do like camps to do that. And there are several good camps out there. I'm not downing all youth camps. I just think in general, culturally, we tend to utilize a lot of things in youth camps to provide a, an emotional manipulation rather than making sure it's the gospel that sort of bare is bare and essential and goes forward. And so I think that's really what I like to see. And so when I have friends who are conducting youth camps and they do that, and this one camp in particular does a really good job with the students in our County. And, and I, they were, I was asked to come speak and it just was a really eventful week. So on Monday night, we went through the camp theme, which was in my weakness. He is strong, um, which is, you know, often mistranslated in our culture because we have, there's very little difference in uh, knowing you know, my, there seems to be a 
fuzzy line of my strength and God's strength. And so we really wanted to tackle that and use the Corinthian texts. And then we went right into our matchless God offers us redemption. Our matchless God sanctifies us through the Holy Spirit. And that works itself out in discipleship. And we ended the night on obedience. So it was a nice set week. I planned all these sermons. And then during the week, my middle daughter, Tegan, she gets rushed to the hospital. And this is like one of three times throughout the week she's rushed to the hospital. And so I, there was a day on Wednesday morning where I had just gotten done with the morning session, which is not even a devotion, just kind of hang out and chill out and play some songs and stuff. And I go to my car and I'm ready to leave to go to McDonald's because they have Wi-Fi there. And this camp's like in the middle of nowhere in Melrose, Florida. And so you don't get much cell data or Wi-Fi. So you have to go to McDonald's where there's Wi-Fi. And I'm about to head there. And I get a call from my wife. You know, we got to take Tegan to the ER. She's got a high fever still. It's been a few days. And they don't test her at that point for a bacterial infection for some reason. They didn't do a urine test on Wednesday. So she ends up just going home. But I was feeling the real pressure like of not being with my kids. Like fathers know I'd like to be with my kids if they're suffering, if they're hurting. And so I was really wanting to leave camp really in the middle of the week. I was wanting to kind of be gone and out of there. And then Thursday, 1.30 a.m. after a long day on Wednesday, really beneficial, rewarding camp experience Monday through Wednesday, I get a call from my wife at 1.30 a.m. She is just, I mean, it was awful, bro. Like, her, she, her voice is shaking. She was panicked. She was literally fearful, like very, very scared. And I had been, we've been married going on 12 years uh, next week. And so I just never heard of Esker. Well, Tegan was like not responding. She woke up in the middle of the night shivering. It's what's called Rigers. I think that's how it's pronounced. I keep mispronouncing it. But Rigers, which is like these these seizures, or they mimic seizures, fever seizures, and her temperature to in the with the EMTs, they said one hundred seven. Wait a second, that's not right. And they took it again; it was like almost one hundred six. So the kid was just burning up. This bacterial infection, which we now end up realizing is a U- UTI, terrible UTI that she had gotten from a bacterial infection. And so she's going her antibiotic. She's off at the end of the story. She's great. She did really well during the weekend. She had to be admitted though for observation, they had her on a different round of antibiotics. But in that moment, man, I drove all the way back to Jacksonville on Thursday at one thirty AM. I got out of the hospital at like two 30 and I was there till five 30. And then I went back to the camp because my wife insisted. She was like, one more night, finish it out. Don't leave everybody hanging. It's important. The kids heard a gospel. And I mentioned all of that because in those moments where my culture was breaking down. Like my, my external experiences were not resulting in gratitude on my behalf. Like nothing was going right. The one, one serious moment I lost it was when I, my car wouldn't start. So it was like, I was stressed out from the messages. <laughs> yeah. You texted me on Wednesday and you're like, dude, my I'm, car won't start. My daughter said, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was being mean to people on text. I probably came across short. Cause I mean, I think I did that to Catherine. I was like, I can't talk now. Like it was just, I was over it and done and like my car didn't start. And it was like the last straw. It wasn't about the car, but it was like all the stress I was feeling about my daughter. And I was just reminded as I'm preaching in my weakness, he is strong that God's giving me examples, illustrations uh, that I can use for sincerity. And I think one thing that reaches this next generation is sincerity and authenticity. I mean, they really are responding well to not the gimmicks, not the manipulations, but me utilizing what was going on with me and Tegan and my wife in the sermons that night. So I was making these serious alterations to the sermon, like hours before I preached them, just saying, I want to add this. I want to talk about how God has proven himself to be faithful, not because she's better, but because he was our strength when we most needed him. I mean, he's always our strength. Like if we can do anything good, 
it's because of God. And I think if we kind of move into these ideologies that are taking the world by storm, as we discussed deconstruction today, the world's getting away from that. The world's getting away from scripture being enough, from Jesus as being enough. Like, what do you think it is where the culture today has to add something to it is finished for it is finished to work? Yeah. I mean, we see that, I I think, now more than ever. And, you know, I don't know the exact answer of why that's more prevalent today. I think it's because of the general shift of our culture away from a biblical um, uh, values and standards that have traditionally been a part of the American culture. Um, and so because of that, we, we're starting to become me-centered. Um, and we're seeing that here. And it's kind of funny with the deconstructionalism. And we talked about it on the last podcast that we were going to really dive into it. This podcast and then in between the last podcast and this podcast on July 4th, when everybody was barbecuing and doing fireworks, you decided to tweet about <laughs> deconstructionalism, and it kind of blew up. To be there. fair, so tell us a little bit about To be that. fair, the tweet is not, a, it's not all about deconstruction. I mean, I'll read it so everyone knows it, and they can go online and check out the conversations for itself. I mean, it got, it got retweeted hundreds of times, and it made several websites, and it sparked several articles. And I think it was liked over 2,000 times or something. And, and everybody who I mentioned in the article responded to this tweet at one point. That was the yeah, craziest part. And you're part. not proud about it at all. I'm not. Am I gleeful? Do I seem gleeful? Yeah, very. very. I, there might be a small part of me that enjoys You've always causing wanted a to be fuss. Fa- I, famous, you know. I mean, here oh, you yeah. Go. This is now really the kind of fame that I I've desired. I mean, people th- are going to be sending hate this, mail to you. This podcast does at get your, over 200 yeah. downloads. I know. I mean, man. I hate to brag, but my grandma's probably only like 10 of those. Yeah. But on Watching July over and over and over and over on July fourth, uh, I t- this is what I tweeted. I said, "I wish I could find my church deacons from the '90s and tell them that Daniel Hasseltine, who is the lead singer of Jars of Clay, which is a very famous '90s Christian band, who I still listen to all day. Like there are three Jars of Clay albums that absolutely hold up, even still. And Derek Webb, who is the lead singer or was lead singer of Cabin's Call, and I think he's even coming out with a new Cabin's Call album, and Kevin Max." of DC talk. He was the guy that wasn't Michael Tate or Toby Mac. Uh, they, I said that these guys no longer hold to sola scriptura, which, you know, is what the reformers taught demanding that man be held to the ultimate authority of God's word. That is our authority. I said, these guys no longer hold to the Bible as inerrant and, or have deconstructed. And I just threw that word out there like that. And then I said, but John Cooper from quote devil band quote skillet, is persevering strong in doctrine. That was the end of the quotes. That was the end of the tweet. And my whole point was these 90s sort of fundamental Christians, 40 years or so, were all like, this guy's, you know, wearing eyeliner, black shirt, long hair, heavy metal music. His music sounds like sort of a Christian nine-inch nails, you know? Like this is like Marilyn Manson, but Christian lyrics. And they were like, this guy's obviously off. You can't listen to that kind of stuff. But, you know, here's a Jars of Clay record, Cayman's Call record, DC Talk. The DC Talk travels around with Billy Graham. DC Talk came to Jacksonville to the Altel Stadium at the time to, to open for Billy Graham. You know, George Beverly Shea leads everybody in just as I am. Like, they just got on the stage and performed Supernatural and Jesus Freak. This is Kevin Max we're talking about. And I said, all these guys have fallen away from the faith, you know. And then uh, in, my, in this article from Chris Honholtz, he starts his article exploring evangelical deconstruction. And one thing we wanted to do on our podcast today was talk about it's the, the very reality of what these generations are facing because of this word and, and what the response evoked. So I, I tweeted that 
and Derek Webb, um, and even Chris mentions how in the heck did Webb find Adam Page's post? Because I didn't tag. You were joking about how I wanted the fame or recognition. Not true. I didn't tag a single person. All these people have Twitter handles. I didn't tag anybody. I didn't want there to be this big controversy where everyone's, you know, I didn't even tag John Cooper. I was just like, just put it out there. Isn't this interesting? Don't judge a book by its cover. That's it. And he, Derek Webb finds the, I guess he Googles his name sometimes or Twitters his name and he found it and he didn't enter into a conversation with me. He didn't, there wasn't a question posed for clarification. There wasn't a message sent of which I would have been happy to respond with because I still to this day enjoy a lot of Derek Webb's old music. Nope, nothing. It was just a, what we call a quote tweeting, which is where you take the tweet and you quote over it so everyone can read your thing and then read your response and you kind of put yourself on blast. He's got like, I have 4,000 followers on Twitter. He's got like 30 to 40,000 followers. So there's a huge difference in platform. And he puts it up there for everybody to see. And he said, deconstructing is part of reforming. I'd like to think your church deacons would be comforted knowing that we're following the Reformation's cry of Semper Reformenda, always reforming, calling out teachings and practices that the church should repent of and leave behind. So in that response, he gives away, he gives away so much. Yeah, you're saying basically we're reforming from Scripture only. Like... It just that just blows right. my mind. Right. It it was there. It was like, how are claim. you reforming from what the scripture said? Basically, you're saying let's change the scripture because it no longer meets the needs of our time and age. And like, right? That's that's dangerous. Dude, this is <laughs> what so many levels. This is what made the tweets yeah. so incredibly popular. It wasn't my hey, this is funny about '90s deacons. It was he said what. Like, what? This was an incredibly bold claim. This guy is saying that to engage in deconstruction, which we're going to go over in a second uh, using some really great um, references that we hope to share with you, to engage in deconstruction is really comparing it yourself to the modern day, like being a modern day reformer. Like, and it's what you've said. You're reforming the wrong way. Like reforming the the initial reformers reformed to the centrality of the word of God from things that had gone astray from the word of God, not changing the word of God to meet their current culture. You you had this canon and then you had man-made constructs, including liturgical practices and sacramental things and all this stuff that was getting added on like it's in the Bible, like it's for the Acts church, you know? So the whole concept of reformation or the process of reformation, I would argue even my friends who believe that it was unnecessary to say, it was very necessary that reformers were seeking to draw themselves closer to Christ uh, while discarding man-made traditions that have been added to his word. And here he, Derek Webb, is, is sort of showing out the, the deconstruction um, plague that is happening to the generation. Uh, and, and my buddies at Just Thinking Podcast, Daryl Harrelson, Harrison and Virgil Walker do a wonderful job of displaying five points of progress of evangelical deconstructionism so we can spot it. And we're going to go over that in a second. But he basically said, no, we're reforming, but we're reforming away from the word. And I have a question. Who becomes the authority over the scripture? Each individual person. Individuals. Like, how dangerous is that? And how could that even be sustained if people flawed with their experiences and their bias and their feelings and emotions, all those things that, that are not relying on Christ or his word or have no authority. And they're saying, 
yeah, I get to decide what and what I'll use Derek Webb's own word. I get to decide what the church should repent of and leave behind. I mean, we're we're employing. And some, this is not saying that there hasn't been issues in the church, but the issues in the church have all been when they left the word of God behind or to the side and decided to deconstruct uh, here. Like it's it just blows my mind again like i said to to think that we're trying to deconstruct from the word of god or not deconstruct reform from the word of god instead of saying yes there's been issues in the church yes there's things from the say past generations where uh they weren't following they they were legalistic or whatever that might be but it, when you pull that down the legalism did not come from the word of god legalism came from that church and and deciding to ignore things in the word of God, the the centrality of the word. And so now we're saying because of those issues, obviously the word of God was wrong. You know, it's like the logic in there just, I, I don't get it. Yeah, I agree with you. I think heresy tends to develop at the ends of the spectrum. And so for years, they were in probably independent fundamental Baptists or Southern Baptists that look like independent fundamental Baptists. And the reason I'm dogging that denomination specifically is because they're pretty known for their legalism, saying that men are in sin for not wearing suits to church. Not saying that you just should honor God and dress your best. That can be a personal conviction, but literally saying that you're in sin if you don't wear it. That is a man-made construct attached to something the Word of God does not say. So it's not the same as saying that there's a heretical book like the Quran or like the Mormon Bible who is t- or telling you to do things that God has not said to do. This is saying that we have a scripture, we have a perfect canon, we have the Bible, it's been preserved and protected, it's just as much banned as it is circulated, and it is perfect from beginning to end, and we should have this as our authority. It's saying, no, 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 not based on what it says uh, do we have a problem with it, it's the matter of fact that we feel and think and want different things than what the word says. So we're going to deconstruct or in his word, reform away and see what the, the practices. I love how he said practices when really what he's saying is doctrines because because there is a huge difference between orthodoxy and orthopraxy. And orthodoxy is what we believe, the beliefs and truth that make the church, what we build the church upon. And this orthopraxy that he's attacking, he likes to assume it's the same as orthodoxy, and it's not. It's the way in which that stuff is handled. And so I agree. I'm glad you said that because I don't want people thinking the church is perfect. It's the first of all, it's the biggest word in the world. It's like saying Walmart is great. You know, there's a good Walmart and there's a bad Walmart wherever you live. Everybody knows that. You go to the good Walmart. So if Walmart is a huge word. doesn't mean all the stores. Same thing with church. What is each church, if, if wanting to be loyal and faithful and obedient to God and the calling he has on the mission? What do they have to do to be faithful? They have to abide in the word and they have to have the scripture as their authority. If they don't, something else swoops in and becomes their authority. So in this Just Thinking episode, uh, Daryl Harrison outlines the five points of progress of evangelical deconstructionism. And according to Harrison, the points are these. And I'd love to recommend that as well as Chris Hunholtz's recent article, where if you Google deconstruction and Chris Hunholtz, it'll pop up immediately and you'll see everything we've been talking about. But here are the five points of evangelical deconstructionism, he says, happen to determine if uh, people you love, people you know, people inside your church, or the door is open in your church to bring in these worldly, dangerous ideologies. He says the first thing you have to do is embrace and position the idea that the church is a socially constructed system, not a divinely ordained idea that originated in the mind of God. So first off, right at the very beginning, you're given a misrepresentation of what the church is. So if you can make the church seem, even to those who have been born and raised in the church, because that we see is like a main target of deconstructionism. It's not people who live their lives outside the, the church. It's people who have 
been raised in the church and heard a lot of things they didn't want to hear. And so the first thing you do is you say, well, the church, you see, is just this socially constructed system. It's just a YMCA. Yeah. Right. It's not built by God. There's no there's no mission or hierarchy. Yeah. And so then it's the idea of, well, I can be a Christian without the fellowship of of believers because that's optional. And that's why, you know, we've talked over and over again, uh, you know, Oh yeah, you have times. to have that fellowship of believers in a local body. Uh, what church for means. accountability, um, so that you know the conviction uh, from each other, and you know through the working of the Holy Spirit um, for encouragement, uh, for uh, doctrine, reproof, correction. Um, you know, and the list goes on there. And so, but if it's a, if it's a social construct, if it's optional, then all of a sudden you start looking at it's not necessary. It's you can, you know, one way or the other. It's not only and, not necessary, but it's malleable. Right. Right. Like it has, it, it, it can, can shape shift yes. to whatever the people who are attached to that church want it to be. And we're not talking about preferences in worship. We're not talking about superficial things. We're not talking about style of music or color of the paint and the walls or the carpet. That's not what we're talking about. Those are just preferences. We're talking about what the church is built on. And we're going to get to that a little bit more later, but First thing they have to do in deconstruction is forget the original idea in the mind of God of what the church is supposed to be, change it to something it's not. And then after that, they assume that this socially constructed system is designed to be exclusive. Here's where we have oppression of certain intersectional identities, traditions, and behaviors. This is in large part why so many people deconstructing can find a tie into sexual immorality because the LGBTQ agenda has said basically uh, we believe in Jesus. We believe in God. We believe in the church. We just don't believe that Paul said this. And so they immediately just sever the word to pieces. They sever the canon because everything you've, you've embraced the idea that the church is just the YMCA. So once you've done that, there's no right way for the church to live. You think about how controversial it is to say God has a right way for you to worship him. Like, yeah. like remember that, like God has a right way for you to do it. And we're not talking about what you're wearing. We're talking yeah. about God has a right way for you to worship him but the way he wants you to worship him. He wants all things in the worship service to be exalted. He wants your kids to know that they're a part of the church. He wants to see the promise passed. He wants to see a witness in the community. There's a right way to do it. And that is oppressive language these days to many people. Especially when with the uh, cultural ideology that uh, freedom of, of expression, freedom of of uh, action basically you be you we don't want to oppress who you are as an individual and then you have clear-cut commands of christ uh, to where a pastor can say the word of god says xyz no questions no uh you know ands or buts or ifs in this this is what the word of god says you know and the bible's clear on this and then all of a sudden it's like well but what about me what about my feelings and what about my expression but what if i don't agree with that um obviously it can't be you know that concrete and solid and that's where you start running into this uh, deconstructionalism in church right and so after you've embraced that and assume that the constructed system the church is just designed to oppress people then the first thing you do is identify you identify those places those points and cracks in this socially constructed system that have failed and then you, because you're so incredibly kind and have no ulterior motives, come to caulk and patch and fix those cracks in the system. 
with things that you believe to be correct, which now we've had the introduction of postmodernism and subjectivity, where we're off objective truth now. And you know what? People are being asked. This is, this is honestly what it's like when you're in a small group of Sunday school, and people go, what do you think about that text? That's one of the worst questions. What do you think? Yeah. <laughs> I don't care. It doesn't matter what you think. I couldn't care less what you think about the text. What do we know the Bible is saying and why? Like, what is the Bible saying is a better question than, hey, tell me what you think about this. Now, if you're in a one-on-one discipleship situation, you're trying to garner some questions about where they are in terms of their walk and perhaps idolatry that's taken hold in their life, go for it. But if you're in a group setting and you're just throwing out, hey, guys, let's all talk about our different interpretations of the same scripture. Uh, that can be really irresponsibly mishandled. So it's probably wise for us not to fall in line with what the deconstructionists are doing, uh, where we feel like the scripture is in great need of being fixed or reconstructed. Because typically, you know what reconstruction means? It means it's not good how it is, and that we need to reconstruct it so it best fits blank. Well, what's blank? How we want it to be. Our own opinion. So this is nothing and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to hold till the end of these five points because I don't want to confuse listeners. It's so hard because, again, Satan has no new plays in the game book. Dude, this is like, this is just what he does. Is he points us to ourselves and he points us to worldly ideology so that we can find ourselves at the end. He just wants us to worship ourselves so he has company. That's it. That's really all it ever boils down to. So after we identify that, we apply a hermeneutic of suspicion is what Daryl Harrison called it. Uh, to that system, the church, so that anyone, this is the best part, who is even remotely associated or connected to that system is by default deemed untrustworthy. Well, goodness gracious, just for being attached to the church, you become an oppressor. You become a limbing. Because what, what best way, what, is there a better way to formulate a cult than by convincing your followers that everyone else is crazy? I mean, that's what you do. You go, what you have, guys, are inside information. You've been released. You've been freed. And so, really, we are all the way back to Genesis 3 with deconstruction. I've never, in my lifetime, I've never seen a worldly ideology so on the nose of Genesis 3 than I have deconstructionism, where you can almost hear the serpent say, God has something you don't. Don't you want to be like God? I mean, this is what deconstructionism is ultimately saying. And then once you apply that hermeneutic of suspicion, because all the devil has to give, the devil doesn't have to give proof. He can't create anything. All he does is produce confusion and suspicion of God's perfect laws. And once you do that, you are tempted in your own self-idolatry to reconstruct those socially constructed systems into an image and likeness of the culture with a culturally acceptable theology, with a culturally acceptable soteriology or anthropology or eschatology. The problem is, this is where the real reformers, the true reformers step in. It's God that's built his church. The cornerstone of his church is Christ Jesus, who is immovable. And the authority is and always will be his word. We are servants or even slaves to Christ and his word. And this is a good kind of enslavement. This is a good kind of servitude. So that we remember that the point of deconstruction is not about determining the truth. They're not interested in that. They would have to first admit there's objective truth. They're not interested in determining truth. It assumes the system, which is Christianity, is one of oppression and inequality. And I would argue that it's because people nowadays really desire victimhood and they mistake victimhood for power. And one thing that I hope was clear to those students at that youth camp is that in my weakness, he is strong is not 
idolizing victimhood. It is finding out where the strength and where the true power and where the true rest uh, actually are. Why do you think that is uh, kind of a, a bent of our culture today? Uh, well, there's a lot of whys. Uh, I think it's easier to be a victim than change. It's easier to see yourself as oppressed than to see yourself as the oppressor or the person who uh, needs changing. I mean, salvation in and of itself is the recognition of needing change. There's no savior uh, that can be accepted by people who don't realize that they are in need of saving. So part of your salvation experience is, I'm in need. I'm in great need of something I cannot do for myself. And deconstruction says the exact opposite. It says no social constructive system can give to you what you can give to you, and even putting themselves over the authority of Scripture. So a lot of times victimhood is mistaken for power. I think there's a lot of deeper stuff. I think people out of depression and anxiety feel like that. You can, re you can want and receive attention in a really wrong way. You can desire attention in a wrong way. Some people are like, it's better to be seen a victim than not be seen at all. Um, and so again, I don't want to, I don't want to use this time to discount people who are in pain because every single church you've ever been to has been filled with flawed sinners. Every single one ours filled to the brim with flawed sinners. There's pain where people are, but Satan doesn't have a different playbook. We even went over that in revelation 13, that, that even what this, this, this prophecy of the beasts and the unholy Trinity ahead, the dragon and the two beasts, all of that is a fulfillment of, of the devil and his minions walking along the land, using worldly systems and worldly ideologies to threaten the church and the deconstructionists, they flip it on its head and they say, it's the church. That's the real threat to the world. Yeah. Oh, well, man, there's so much it's in this to talk about. And, you know, we've hit what deconstructionalism is, and we're kind of at the end of our, our time here for this podcast. And so, you know, I'm thinking if you're good with that, I think we should do part one and two of deconstructionalism because, I mean, there's just so much for us to, you know, dive into. So we've set it up. And I think going forward into our next podcast, we're going to talk about, uh, you know, scripture alone. Um, what is deconstruction and how it's not part of reformation and just really unpack that and see what is the Christian's view, a biblical view on our culture and then how we deal with the scripture in relation to our culture and how we respond to this, um, this uh, movement of deconstructionalism in the Christian church today. Yes. In our next episode, we'll talk about exactly what sola scriptura means as the fundamental basis for the authority of the church over the church and how deconstruction in and of itself is not reformation and use some more real life examples because one of the reasons this is where we'll close. One of the reasons why this is so incredibly important for us to grab a hold of is that people we love are becoming susceptible to it. So the reason we're addressing it is because it is a real threat. It's not in our heads. And the worst part about this threat is it is cloaked in freedom of oppression. So what actually ends up oppressing Compassion, us, freedom, the guise know. of kindness, the disguise of, of tone over truth and living in a very neutered world and pastors falling in line because they're choosing pragmatism and filled seats over being conveyors and messengers of an undeniable eternal truth that will save souls. So, of course, there's more to address and we want to address it. We thank you guys so much for listening. I thank you, Dylan, for your time. Uh, you had a pretty interesting 
past week too in a totally different way, didn't you? Yeah, um, I I spent most of the week on a lift in the sanctuary with Scott and Jimmy. I was partly uh, talking about that scraping the ceiling. Yeah, renovation. oh, you were talking about the the uh, sonogram and everything like that. Yeah, for those okay. of you who've been asking and following questions, yeah, Dylan and Emily are expecting. Did we find out the gender? We did. Yeah, I didn't know if we did or not. Yeah. Find out next episode. <laughs> <laughs> That's his way of making you come back. So you don't follow him on social networks, and you're just the only way you know us is by podcast. Then you have to wait to the next. We're, we're going to start next episode with the announcement. <laughs> we're going to do a gender gonna... reveal on the podcast and just burst because we that you believe in see. the word of God and in genders, male and female. And yeah. we are going to tell you before this kid's born whether it is a boy or a girl here. And then in a few years. When the kid's able to decide for itself, uh, we will display that gender as well, Wrong. having fallen to the world's ideals and ideologies. I will leave this church and this <laughs> podcast if that happens. I would expect nothing less. I appreciate you guys. We are so thankful for you. Make sure you share, subscribe. Uh, we're available where all podcasts are platformed. Thank you so much for listening. If you have any questions, please email the church or message us on our social networks. We would greatly appreciate it. God bless.